Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, welcome everyone to the Ag Emerge podcast. This is Kim Sheese here, and I'm joined today with Jason Mauck. Uh, Jason was one of our featured speakers at Ag Emerge, and he did a great job of really challenging folks in the room to bust out of that old ag paradigm. Uh, Jason is both a farmer from Gaston, Indiana, and the CEO of Constant Canopy, but he's quick to point out that most importantly, he's a husband and father. I've had the opportunity to follow Jason, when, and when he speaks to fellow farmers, he often leads a presentation with the idea that experimentation opens the door for options for both failure and successes. So welcome, Jason. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's exciting. We've, we've talked about a lot of different things uh, over the past couple months, I've been uh, watching some of the planning and things you're doing for this year's uh, season. And and just to kind of start us off, you know, we, we got to be together in Monterey uh, at the Aggie Merge Conference. And uh, can you tell me, as a speaker, you presented a lot of great ideas. And were there some things that you picked up on while you were there that... Uh, you're going to implement this year, or had you thinking differently about some things? Oh yeah, I you know I, I've done a lot of or went a lot of places this winter, and, and it's hard to remember everything. I always have a goal of remembering one really important thing, uh, but kind of the theme that Agabirds that really stood out to me was time and space, and there were several ideas that that opened up a lot of options. Uh, yeah, my shooter talked about killing weeds with hot water. And that tangent got me so excited. Just imagine the opportunity if that actually, if you can harness that energy. Uh, the guy with uh, uh, irrigation talked about carbonic acid instead of some of the harsher chemicals. But, and, then, and then the bolt, I may have said that wrong, but he was all about replacing so many things they put on the seed and so many things with just that time and space of, the, uh, of a naked seed germinating, what if we could just, uh, you know, worry about that one spot for so long? So I think they all kind of had the same mentality, and I think that's where efficiency is today, where instead of worrying about solving uh, blanketing things, just worry about the exact problem. And I think that's what people had in, in, in common. Yes. Oh, that's that's great. Well, I, and I, I think that leads us uh, very well into kind of what we were talking about um, earlier uh, when you and I were talking about doing this. We were talking about simplification and narrowing the focus. And and uh, you, why don't you expand on that a little bit? What you were what you were talking about there? Yeah, I I would uh, I would classify simplification down to. Uh, what are things derived on, or, or can we narrow our focus down and, and eliminate some noise down to a variable and then embrace that and try to uh, increase uh, the capability of that one variable? 
so what does that look like this year for you? What what are you what what are you narrowing the focus on? What are some of the things that uh, you're trying to apply that principle to? I'm narrowing it down to some, um, and I've been kind of on this tangent for a few years. But as I experiment, I kind of learned how things work a little bit more. And the the goal is scary to most. I think. It's going to be hard to say some of these statements and not offend some people, but I don't really get into the equipment side of it. And my goal is eventually to figure out how we can harness nature in a way that we don't need a combine. We don't need an elevator. We don't need all this infrastructure that we think that we need to feed people. To me, it's as simple as as sunshine, but it's as simple as people that are here locally you know, when you break down a pencil and people say that the eraser came from a different continent than another continent, so the wood and that, so on, how simple is feeding people? You know, to me, it's as simple as if they live 10 miles away, why aren't we feeding the ones around us? So to be able to think in that mindset, we need to think more diversity. We need to think about what they're actually wanting. And I think that that distribution is going to be the opportunity that this thing that we're talking about on our phone and all these technology is going to connect people and solve that distribution problem. We don't have a problem with production. We're, we've got piles. It's funny with capitalism is, is we have crisis in overproduction. And that just boggles my mind. It was boggled Karl Marx's mind, but I'm not <laughs> his train of thought. But I think when you start thinking like this, you're like, why are we just, incentivized to just keep producing why don't we actually think about the problem that's awesome and and uh i i think we've talked a lot about that uh at aggie merge like really addressing um you know getting to getting production to where um the people are to hitting that local need that type of thing and sort of looking at uh what we can produce and what the consumers are looking for from us as well. So and one I don't of the- thing I really talked about, you, I think you asked me like what I'm going to do this year to, to make that happen. And I think the most exciting thing about it, starting at the bottom of the scale spectrum is getting the livestock out in the field. And uh, I've got it in my garage. We're going to try a different prototypes. Uh, but it's called a chicken tractor, and basically we're making these mobile chicken coops that will act like a Roomba or Farmba, and we're going to uh, leverage the ability for, for plants to flex, put them in wider rows, have a ground floor of uh, cover crops, and let those chickens uh, manage that ground floor, uh, metabolize that themselves, drop their waste right there, and energize the plant with both their little bodies metabolizing that and the sunlight and trying to get them two together. And what's exciting about this is they're not going to be, we're only going to have a few hundred chickens out there, but where these ideas, where the, uh, you know, the opportunity is, if it works, then you scale it up from there. And, and if we try all these different ways to move them and different cover crops, we can really exponentially, uh, that's not the right word, but <laughs> the more we break up these experiments, the more we learn in this first year, and we kind of go from there. So not only are we going to have chickens, we're going to have different cover crops, we're going to have different chicken tractors, we're also going to have some sheep and some different animals out here. Once we figure that out, then it's exciting where 2020 goes. That's awesome. I, I, I love to hear um, what you'll be doing. So 
what what crop will you be will you be intercropping that with your soybeans then what all are you going to be testing there I would like to have some chickens that will munch down uh, some of the wide wheat rows. I think they could metabolize just the wheat and then soybeans that would grow. But, but the main goal will be organic corn. Um, so will I be in 60-inch corn? We may try some 90s or 120s to get even a more vigorous uh, ground floor. Uh, but we can – I did some math this morning in my periscope, and I was talking about, I was talking about the amount of yield that we can still get with wide row – Corn, that was something Monty talked about. So if we can get, say, 95% of the yield or 90% in a twice as wide row, then that will empower something other entity to be down there. So there's going to be wider corn and room uh, for the chickens, for the sheep. And uh, last year you talked a little bit about uh, when you were um, walking through your rows of wheat and soybeans and you were getting a lot of rain. Um, how did that affect what was going on, and, and uh, how do you change or modify your system to address some of those types of things that you can't control, like the weather? Exactly. I don't know. I can't think of the quote on my, back of my mind. Everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. <laughs> and I think that this group that I've, I've kind of become a better network with this winter is really trying to tackle that exist, uh, exact problem. And, you know, I, I'm kind of young to the farm game. I took my father's spot after a landscape uh, career for a few years, and I got punched in the mouth many times. Um, we had extremely wet springs, a lot of replants, um, but I saw firsthand by walking the field, getting a shovel, what the actual problem was, and it's the resiliency of our crops, uh, the resiliency of our soils. Um, so a lot of this uh, wide row intercropping and multiple species is not so much about the top end yield. It's about the, um, the ability to take this crazy weather and have a better result in the end. Um, so when I put these, this weed in wider rows, it's all about what is going to happen when we have that thunderstorm that drops two inches of rain in a half hour. Right. We need that water to stay on the hill. We need it to stay in place. We need it to actually go into the soil and store itself for when we need it, when it doesn't rain for two weeks. And when we are in these conventional systems, we're so concerned about warming the soil up for the seed. And if it doesn't rain or rains a quarter inch, um, you know, things work out and we remember the good crops. But it seems like we've forgotten the bad crops and a lot of it is how we structured subsidies and safety nets to where if bad things happen, hey, we're going to bail you out. But what if we make our cropping system more resilient to where we don't have as many inputs? We think about taking some of that risk out of it and kind of insure ourselves. I love where you're thinking with that. And I, and I think that... Uh, um, what you're really driving at, too, is that we're getting that foundation of the soil built up so that um, instead of just being at the mercy of the weather, we're actually working hand-in-hand hand with it, so we're prepared to receive it. Uh, it's kind of like a good catcher in a baseball situation. Uh, you know, he's ready to receive whatever kind of pitch he's going to get, and uh, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here is really... 
uh, be able to receive all those different types of conditions by conditioning the soil and getting those aggregates and stuff built uh, through, you know, your cover crops and everything, being able to have that foundation uh, ready. Yes. I think it's so important uh, to have a living crop. Um, you know, if, if I was in a dry environment, I need a big fast layer. And that's important for me, too. But a lot of times, we, if we're looking at the weather or the water like an economist, we're trying to establish crops in a very saturated soil condition. If we can have something living out there that actually is consuming, not only infiltrating, but consuming that, then we're going to make it a, a more equilibrium or a better environment for that. So the next crop is not going to be in this wet wool sock environment. We're going to be able to keep its root hairs and grow in a lot healthier condition from the get-go, drive deeper in the plant, and get resiliency. So what's been fascinating about this intercropping is, is having two variables and trying to figure out how they kind of work off of each other. I think one of the key things that you said about the observation is getting in the field. You're really out there on a regular basis watching what's happening. The other thing that I think is key is that as you share this information, tell me about the community that follows you and how you guys share information back and forth and how that has helped you in problem solving and decision making about some of the things that you're doing. Are, are you really working across a lot of different communities to ask questions and find things, find out information? Yeah, I, I, social media has probably been the best thing for me as far as the growth and having the ability to wake up in the morning and make a chalkboard like you're seeing mm -hmm. and having a lot of people watch it. If I put that on, on Facebook, most people are probably going to think I'm a lunatic, and maybe they are on Twitter as well. Uh, but it's all about expanding and finding, uh, you know, people that are interested in things. But also, it's really uh, put me in check. And when I started in with Twitter and this constant canopy idea, honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing yet. I hadn't put in the work. I hadn't put in the experiments. So it's the criticism that probably helped me more than anything especially at the beginning, and still putting an idea out there and, and allowing people to take it in and, and just bring it back. Tell me what you think. And that's what's really exciting about the future of ag is no longer are we stuck locally cashing out ideas. We can broadcast those ideas out, and, and you're seeing it in all these different industries where things are evolving at a quicker pace. And, and to me, that's what's really cool is it's not only put it out there on the media, but then those people come together, and it kind of goes back to that racking the shotgun idea. If you have enough drive to get in your car and drive two or three hundred miles or get on a plane and come to something, then that each person that's sitting in there is a fantastic contribution uh, to the whole system. So it really takes thinning out the herd to find the, the, the great minds that really want to contribute, and it's those people and it's everybody working together that's really going to move this ball forward and uh, bring it to the next level. Oh, well, I, I think that's that's great, and, and I think it's folks like you that are just really 
unafraid to get out there and try things and uh, test and see what works and and also not afraid to talk about what didn't work because I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of it is that a lot of folks are afraid of failure and I realize that um, you know it takes time and energy to put all of these uh, concepts to work and to test them out and it can be I'm sure frustrating at times as you think you've got an idea of a direction that you're going and then you find out it probably or might not have been the direction that you needed to go, but you still learned something from it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I might take a stand that's a little bit more of a hypocrite than some others. I think from my marketing background, you got to kind of be a social chameleon and some. So you got to kind of uh, shade some things to some sides. But I think that's what's really helped me personally is going out and trying to say, you know grow 400 bushel corn or on the same year have a sandy ground that you drop, you know, 20,000 and you're shooting for 160 bushel corn with low input. But it's, it's experimenting with the entire spectrum that really empowers you to have better ideas in the future. And I, you know, I, I, I have no problem with anyone being, uh, having firm beliefs and not going outside of that. But I think it really helps people when, when they're not really afraid to do things maybe a little outside of their true core <laughs> beliefs in order to understand not only how things work, but also the limitations. And I think a lot of my mistakes have been ideas that are really above and beyond the limitations of Mother Nature. And you kind of learn that through train wrecks. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of being a lifelong learner, and uh, learning often comes with a lot of bumps and bruises, and that's okay because those are the things that we tend to remember the most, we tend to learn the most from, so uh, I think that's great. So, well, so what's this spring looking like for you, and you're going to, you said you're going to adopt your... uh, your chicken rows and uh, getting your integrated mm-hmm. livestock out there. Is there anything else that you'll be doing this spring that we we want to be keeping an eye out for? Well, I, I talk a lot about the intercropping and wheat and soybeans. And if you paid attention to the wheat markets lately, uh, they've really knocked you down. <laughs> but it's actually been a fantastic opportunity because the wheat market was up to about uh, 625 at one point last year, and I really doubled down. It was an excuse to do this for the next three years. Uh, so we bought a lot of bushels and rolled it, and now that the market's dropped, if I get, get uh, really uh, get brave, I could uh, buy that back and maybe get 7 or $8 a week, which would be really nuts if you uh, followed how low it went. But So on that component, on, on just the relay cropping itself, I'm really excited on the canvas that we have right now. Uh, this has all been kind of an evolution that's taken four years. And this year we went to this quad row week. Uh, last year we seeded it with a manure tanker and it worked well. We had fantastic soybeans, but the wheat was a little iffy on the stand. We have a great stand and we were basically going back to the Fibonacci code, the one to 1.68. Uh, we're doing the one plus one equals two kind of thing where we're putting twin rows in a single wide row. And we're all looking at solar angles. Uh, but I'm really excited on this is starting to wake up. It's getting 70 degrees tomorrow, 65 this afternoon. So these are like, this is like Christmas morning to a plant door. And everything is dormant and it's coming alive. 
And I've been out there the last couple of days, and I can see uh, the wheat waking up, the tillers. It's, I was worried about winter killing. It's fine. But the point is, in a month or two, we're going to make some beautiful photography and beautiful agronomy videos with what we have. Uh, so I, I think we're dialing down and getting close to the spectrum of the winning economic formulation of wheat and soybeans to where maybe we can get 50, 60, 70 bushel of wheat and still get that 80, 90 bushel soybeans, but reduce the cost of both. Um, and it all goes back to the time and space thing that I talked to before. Um, just can we take that soybean gap and, and take care of our wheat pressure with a cereal? Can we get thicker? I think we have that stand this year, uh, and that eats people's lunches. That's what the economy is all about, um, is how do we eat uh, bears' lunch on chemicals? You know, how can we take this other input and replace it with just a plan? Uh, so I'm excited about where that's going to be. That's fantastic. And just constantly uh, pushing that uh, envelope, constantly trying to figure out uh, solutions for uh, some of these things you're facing and and having a really a re reductionist uh, model where you're you're wanting to just basically get that full production with a less is more concept. So uh, really utilizing looking at looking at what's happening in the natural system and and uh, using that to your advantage. So well, uh, Jason, I really appreciate your time this morning. We're excited about what you're up to. We'll be posting things about what you're doing, following you on Twitter. And if you want to give a shout out to uh, your Twitter handle so folks can follow you, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jason Mock one. And I, I went to your conference and mommy said, Mouth, it is Mock like M O C K. Yes, yes. So Jason. That's Jason, M-A-U-C-K-1, on Twitter, and you follow me on Facebook. But uh, especially when it starts warming up, I'll be out uh, in the field making videos, showing you how a phenomenon works with my shovel. And uh, it's something I really look forward to in the morning. My wife teaches, so she's out the door at 645. Usually people on the farm don't show up till they get back from the coffee shop, so that's my hour and a half or so. To kind of geek out. Awesome. That's <laughs> I'm looking awesome. looking forward to that season. Well, we look forward to watching what you're up to and uh, hoping that you have a great season and uh, keep posting and keep us posted on what you're up to. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, uh, the next installment of uh, Jason in the Field. So. so I have a field day on June 21st, which is the summer solstice that Friday. And invited everybody in the whole world to come out and see what I'm doing on my farm. And we're going to have a band from Nashville, Tennessee that's really good come out. And uh, we're going to have a good time. So it's going to be a learning experience, a networking experience. And I want as many people out there as possible. So on spread the word. June 21st. Yes. Send me a link and we'll get that posted. And uh, that's an exciting thing. Maybe we'll have to do a podcast live from... Uh, from Indiana. Yes. Well, Jason, thank you so much, and uh, we'll look forward to touching base with you again soon. All right. Thank you. You bet. It was great to catch up with Jason and hear more about all the different ideas that he's exploring on his farm there in Indiana. A link to Jason's Twitter and his upcoming field day is in the bio of this episode. 
And you'll want to check that out and follow Jason because he is constantly seeking and learning and implementing his ideas. So go check him out. And thanks for tuning in. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We post new episodes every other Tuesday with thought leaders who are moving the ag paradigm forward. See you next time on the Ag Emerge Podcast.